I'm Anthony Davis. He's Ron Filipkowski. This is the show where we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is otherwise not covered by the mainstream media. And I was just going on to say that isn't it interesting how the mainstream media as a phrase used to be just used by the, the, the right, the far right, to kind of criticize. But actually, everybody now is realizes how much of the mainstream media is failing in its responsibility to highlight the rise of fascism in the West with Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot going on that really they are ignoring. And, and, and that is a frustration for me. I'm sure it is for you too, Ron. I boil over sometimes. It's really why I said I ha- I've had to stop watching cable news a lot and, and I enjoy it, but it gets so frustrating especially when they interview Republicans, because, you know, I, I pay so close, so close attention to these guys and I kind of know what they what they have to say and what they think. And I watch them on podcasts. So I have all these questions in my head that I would like to ask them. And, and yet it just seems like the same old horse race style questions over and over again that yeah. media asks these guys. And, you know, it, it's just it's just so tired and, and played out and boring. Yeah, I was thinking maybe as a side hustle, I could maybe do some consultancy for networks and teach their journalists how to ask questions because, you know, I don't know, I I kind of I'm only doing that out of desperation, not, you know, not out of necessity, because I really feel that this is a, a moment in history where everybody should be pulling together. Can you imagine like in, in a year's time, historians be writing about the time that the US failed to recognize the rise of a dictatorship and just chose to drop the ball and the media played a huge part in that. It would be a very sad story. I uh, I talked to a senior reporter this past weekend about this and um, I was so frustrated and she said, well, you know, we don't we don't really get to interview Trump anymore. You know, he's he's so protect in a protected bubble and he only does interviews with right wingers. I said, well, you know, at some point in the campaign, he's he's going to open himself up. And I said, if you know of any, you know, mainstream ballot that's going to interview him, uh, fly me in, you know, give me yeah. 20 minutes to prep you. I'll give you 10 questions that he's never been asked before. Right. And every one of them will stump him. And and so and and I said, and the other thing is you can ask those same questions to Trump surrogates because you're getting to interview them. You could at least ask a Tim Scott these questions. Yes. Yeah. My dream would be to interview mike johnson the new speaker of the house because <laughs> yeah, i have, be I have right i have a i have a lot that i reckon that he could be put on the spot for and as you and i have discussed before and i used to train politicians with speeches and you know i've had interesting jobs in in, in the media and in politics but entrapment is the way you do it so you prepare questions yeah. that entrap them so that they cannot give an alternative answer and 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 this is something i am not seeing and unfortunately on you know shows like meet the press and that type of thing there is a there is a failure of duty and, and it's it's very frustrating yeah. um and i don't i personally have always had a rule that i would never criticize other people in in journalism you know that's always been something i've been very you know proud of and keep sturm about other people's work but <laughs> democracy ron it's, it's on, on the line, line. It's on it's the line. Different, right? I Things agree with you. I, I don't think I ever posted a single tweet criticizing a member of the media before this, yeah. a few months ago. Yeah. And, and I'm doing it more and more. I don't really want to. Yeah, but, I, I feel the same. I did one the other day where I wrote, this is not journalism. 
and, yeah. and and that is it's very sad indictment because you know there are some great journalists in the US unfortunately they're just not on cable news or mainstream news okay let's uh, talk about some of the conspiracies that are going on on in the far right uh, and, the, and the movement this MAGA Republican movement that Donald Trump represents now and the latest big one is the Taylor Swift conspiracy tell me about this the big one yeah it well it seems that pretty clear that there's no one in in politics that republicans fear more than taylor swift uh they're they're very afraid of her influence or ability to influence voters uh one of the things that got them rattled is they did a new poll that showed i think it was 18 percent of taylor swift followers basically just said they don't follow politics. They have no strong opinion either way, and they'll just vote for whoever Taylor tells them to vote for. Well, that 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 pretty much set them off, you know. And then the relationship with what their conspiracy is is that, you know, this is all being orchestrated by the Biden campaign. Her relationship with the football player Travis Kelsey, because the idea is that they know this is their 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 theory that they already planned on Taylor Swift is going to endorse Biden, which she did in 2020. But yeah. this time she's going to get more involved, more active in turning out young, particularly women voters. But the relationship with Kelsey, who is also the face of Bud Light, who's considered a woke brand and Pfizer, uh, the, the vaccines that she's combining with him to, not only to cross over her appeal to the middle America rural voters, but to tap into that beer drinking white male rural football fan base uh, using Travis Kelsey as part of this op and uh, and to lure those voters in as well. So, yeah, they're pretty apoplectic uh, about what is playing out, which which in reality is probably just a very nice relationship. Yeah. from a young couple well nothing is playing each out. other this is the point isn't it yeah. nothing is playing out all right. of this it's is organic. in the minds of the oh yeah it's organic and and meanwhile taylor swift's going about her business and just doing her thing and she has every right to you know be political if she wants to as many kind of music industry people have over the years but it's just so weird that they would waste their time on this stuff let me play the clip of the oan oan host who um says it makes sense for biden to have taylor swift date Travis Kelsey in this in this deep state conspiracy. Here it is. America's pop star celebrity sweetheart joins forces with the top dog in the NFL playing for the team that's going to the Super Bowl. I mean, let's be real here. This is bread and circuses on steroids. Major League Sports in and of itself is nothing but a psyop. Get kids plugged into the cycle of going to public indoctrination camps, playing sports for their school and going to games. Many end up devoting their entire childhood to competing in various sports, only to be cut from the team, at which point they become brainwashed into supporting professional teams because they know their dreams of becoming a pro athlete will probably never happen. So then they become obsessed with some grown man who gets paid millions of dollars every year to throw a ball around while promoting poison death shots and child slave labor through various brand deals and endorsements. So sad. Imagine being so brave. So, so what, what is it with this, this thing? I mean, is it, are they using it because they think that they can grow an audience on, on the One America News Network by just talking garbage? Or is there a genuine feeling amongst MAGA Republicans that Taylor Swift is, you know, the, the, a danger to their chances of re-election? I think it's a combination. I think for, for Fox, for example, like the TV networks, it's all about ratings and, 
anytime they can do a segment on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, even to criticize them, it's good for their ratings. And, and they understand that. And I think for a lot of these social media people on the right, that's also part of it. I wrote an article about this and I said, you have to really sift through the clickbait ones like uh, that Nick Adams guy did and another guy, the IQ 187. Some of these people are just putting things out there as clickbait to get people worked up. But there are a legitimate segment, a big chunk of legitimate segment like Charlie Kirk, Jack Posobiec. There's a number of them who absolutely believe that this is this is a real thing. Donald Trump Jr. also, you know, who believe that this is a real psychological operation being done. They even think it's being orchestrated out of the Pentagon. So uh, there, there's some pretty far out conspiracy. So it's not all clickbait. There is there is a very real concern that that Taylor Swift is Joe Biden's secret weapon. Let me show a clip of Jack Posobiec doing exactly that. On this movement, the millions watching back TV, when we do the podcast, when we do War Room, when we do human events, right? That's who we got. And so that's who we have to go to war with. And so when it comes to winning these elections, we have to understand the new game. And when I talk about Taylor Swift, I say it's, it's so obvious to me. She's the perfect vehicle to go to those low propensity uh, white liberal women to say, I need you to come out. I need you to come out for what? What will be the issue? It'll be abortion, right? Abortion will be the issue. You need to come out. You need to get out on here. And we can all see it. I'm sorry. I, 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 I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But unfortunately, I have to live in the world of, of, of what's, uh, you know, what potential threats could be out there. And the indicators and warnings right now are, are going off the charts. That uh... Never take questions during a speech. <laughs> you should know that. I mean, just explain who this guy is, because I don't think people realize quite how dangerous this, this, this man has been over the, over the recent year. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about Jack in one second. But, you know, at the end of that clip, which I agree not to play all of it, but yeah. he, he talks about the fact that the, the right is going to counteract the Taylor Swift effect with celebrities of their own. And they're going to roll out Kid Rock. And, John Voight. Uh, and John Voight and Ted Nugent. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they, they're going to they're gonna kill it know. with those three. So what he talks about is like, you know, she's going to get those low information voters, those people that aren't that don't watch cable news, that aren't on political social media, that, again, don't follow the issues that she can influence them. And that and I believe that that is true. Um, but the people that he's talking about are not going to not going to reach any non fanatical right wingers. I mean, they're they just preach to the to their choir. By the way, speaking of John Voigt, you know, he used to do these crazy, very dark videos, uh, pro Trumpy videos. And I just checked because I'm like, am I unfollowed from him or something? Because I hadn't heard from him in a long time. He actually hasn't put one out since the beginning of November, which is very odd. He used to do one every couple weeks. Yeah, so. I would watch those occasionally. Yeah, I don't for, know what's up with what's up with Voigt. Uh, but well, he's hopefully he's okay. He's an, he's an old man, you know. He's a champ. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, the uh, one of the most important issues right now is obviously the border deal because there are multiple things riding on it, and that is the, the uh, funding to Ukraine, but also funding for the support of Israel as well. And so, you know, it's it's a bit of a touchy subject in Washington because Republicans have been proven... It's been proven multiple times now that Donald Trump is the puppet master. And he's yeah. the one saying, I do not want you to do a deal on, on the border until after the election when I will deal with it. 
and that was admitted to by several people, including the Speaker of the House himself, who's been making some ridiculous appearances recently and, and contradicting himself. So, you know, where, where do we go from here, considering the fact that this is very important and politics aside, this funding needs to be found? The border issue is is one that's very easy to demagogue for right wingers. I mean, yeah. they it's it shut them all, shut the border down. Don't let anybody in and deport everybody. I mean, that that's very simple messaging. It's easy to to put out there. And and the problem is, you know, for Democrats, we could talk about the deal because that's important too. But the the problem is for Democrats is that the the reality of the border situation is very complex and with a lot of moving parts, and it's very complicated. And you can't explain it in a slogan or or a sentence or three words like close the border, deport everybody. You know, it's yeah. complicated. And and because when you have to explain why those things are not feasible or reasonable or possible, um, those require long explanations. For example, you know, just to to detain everybody at the border, we haven't had enough bed space and detention facilities at the border for years, for deck for a decade. Uh, they've all been overcrowded. The reason why we have to we can't detain people at the border is because we don't have the facilities to be able to do yeah. that. And and that's one of the things that was in this border package. The funding package is more money to build those facilities, to be able to to take people and house them, to adjudicate their asylum claims faster, to be able to deport them faster if they don't qualify. These are all the things that are in the proposal. But those are hard to explain. And, and, you know, Trump can go around and say, oh, nobody came in the border when I was president. That's basically what, you know, he demagogues. And yeah. the reality is we averaged about 600,000 for his four years. We averaged about 600,000 people came into the United States and he did not deport as many each year as the Biden administration. Now, those numbers have definitely gone up during Biden, but they were still significant under Trump and nothing was done. And by the way, the border package that has been negotiated by James Lankford, who is a Republican senator from Oklahoma, as Lankford has pointed out, this package is the exact same package that Trump requested in 2018 when he was president and couldn't get it passed. So the package that Trump is against now is exactly what he asked for in 2018. But of course, we know why he doesn't want it now, because the border is his number one campaign issue. Let's take a look at uh, Senator James Langford, who appeared on Fox uh, Sunday. ...that are not being enforced. So why give him this in an election year, the cover of this deal that, you know, uh, uh, critics say is still going to let a lot of people in, but he gets to take a victory lap that he's gotten something done. Yeah, yeah well, it's definitely not going to let a bunch of people in. It's focused on actually turning people around on it. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution, and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. Just as a quick, for instance, the last four months, we've had 50 people cross our border on the terror watch list, 50. 
safety. We've had tens of thousands of people that were declared by this administration a national security risk that came across our border and were released. It is our constitutional obligation to be able to secure our country as fast as we can secure our country. This puts in mandatory pieces that haven't been there in the past to make this administration actually enforce the law. I would tell you, that I, don't, I don't know of anyone that believes that if President Trump was elected, well, he was president right now, this border would not have this problem. So the thought that somehow President Biden can suddenly be the pro-national uh, security president in the final months of this is... Yeah. Meanwhile, they're about to impeach the guy whose job it is to manage the border. So, you know, get him out of the picture. I mean, it, it, it is... It's so obvious. Their tactics are so obvious to, to anybody. Do you think it's getting through to Republicans, MAGA Republicans, that any of this is a stunt, you know, uh, is, is theatrical, it's not really based in truth or fact? I think some of them understand that, but I think some of them, no, I think the majority of them, look, this is a winning issue for them. The new consult poll that just came out showed that in the, the seven battleground swing states for the presidential election in six of those seven states swing voters were asked what is their number one concern and their number one concern was immigration and the border these are swing voters these are not MAGA voters and so uh, Republicans see those numbers and realize that this is a winning issue for them and it's also why the administration is so spending so much time and effort right now to try and get a deal done. And I think that Lankford is, is in an unenviable position because over the decades, any Republican that has been designated as the person in the Senate to negotiate a compromise on immigration always gets roasted by his own party. So Mitch put up Lankford to do this because Lankford not only was just reelected, and is to a new six-year term and is in a safe place like Oklahoma where there's no Democratic challengers, but he did it without Trump support. You know, a MAGA person ran against him in a primary and Trump did not back Lankford and Lankford soundly defeated that candidate. So, so Lankford isn't really worried about MAGA backlash. So he's negotiating this, but he's kind of out on an island. The question is how many senators agree with Lankford's deal? My guess is enough to pass it. Um, to get the 60 votes. But the problem is, of course, Mike Johnson in the House, who's who's made it clear that Trump calls him all the time. And he gave went out and gave a statement today where yeah. he said that we have to get to zero crossings before he would agree to a deal. We've never been at zero crossings. We weren't even close to that during the Trump administration. So basically what he's saying is I'm not doing anything on the border. And And so what will the effect be for Ukraine and for Israel? I mean, because have Democrats done the right thing tying these three issues together? I think they did the right thing by trying to do that. But yeah. Now the question is going to be, if Johnson isn't going to budge, if he won't bring this to the floor, if he won't negotiate with the Senate, um, you know, and the polls don't don't reverse on this and, and he doesn't they don't take any hit in the polls for for that position, then the Senate and the administration are going to have to decide if they want to decouple the issue and, and to just do separate Ukraine-Israel packages, get that done, and just leave the border up to up to politics because uh, that's probably where we're, where we're headed. That's probably what's going to have to happen. And hopefully it will resonate that the Amer with the American people that it was Mike Johnson and Donald Trump who have made this problem worse. But Republicans are betting that they can demagogue the issue and 
my suspicion is they're probably right. They probably can. We shouldn't underestimate the significance of the attempted impeachment of Alexander Mariokas, right? Because yes. this has never been done in, in yes. history to take somebody who's a you know effectively a department head. He hasn't broken the law. He is hasn't you know broken the constitution. He hasn't done anything that he said he you know or he's done everything that he said he was going to do. He's stuck because this deal is stuck, and yet they are attempting to impeach him, and probably will. It might won't get ratified in the Senate, but certainly, you know, Congress. I, I, this has got to be Donald Trump saying they impeached me. You got to get a couple of impeachments, right? Well, I think that it's bigger than that. That's part of it. But I yes, we haven't had a cabinet secretary impeached in 150 years. I think it was 1877 was the last time. And here we are. But no, this is really not about Alexander Mayorkas. I don't think that the Republicans really care that much about him. And I think that they fully understand that, look, Alec, he, he is an administrator. He is carrying out the policy of the Biden administration and, and the Biden administration had some policy changes on the border when they came in and he implemented them and carried them out. And so they're they're sort of mad at him for following the policy. But they but they understand what they want with this impeachment is to keep the border in the news as they've been successful at doing in the past week. Uh, keep it out there um, and, and have a trial in the Senate on Mayorkas. And that puts the whole border issue on the front pages. And, and every day that the border is the front headline of the newspaper or the news is a winning day for the Republicans. And tragically, imagine being Alejandro Mayorkas in this moment. Imagine being the, a victim of this Republican wrath and having to you know, knowing that you're actually deporting and arresting more people than ever before in history, more than Trump did, that you've managed to negotiate with Mexico to pay for new technology, that the, you've just opened to checkpoints because the numbers went down so much. You know, if this was a, if he was having to reapply for his job, he would have been doing very well. And yet he is facing a very public impeachment. That's because there's one key part missing. I think that Mayorkas is a very effective administrator. I think he's a hard worker. I think he's conscientious. I think he cares a lot about doing the right thing, all of that stuff. Yeah. But the one key ingredient that's missing is the communication part of the job, which is part of the job. And I don't think Mayorkas is an especially effective communicator, and he's certainly not a hardcore fighter. He's not someone who's going to go into Congress and go into the Senate and mix it up and fight back and argue and give it as good as he gets. Um, he's just not that kind of a personality. He's not going to do that on the Sunday shows. And I think that that's a big problem. I mean, I, I do think that that's an important part of the job. The job is not just administ administration. It's not just policy. You also have to be in a people is an excellent communicator and he's very good at selling the, the administration's policies on transportation i don't think mayorkas is as good at that and the question is how important is that well being a good administrator is more important yes but in a democracy especially on the border where you know that this is going to be the republicans number one issue you got to have, I think, a, a better communicator. He at least needs to have a spokesperson then. If he can't do it, a spokesperson needs to come out and do it for him.
Well, a little bit like with COVID, you know, they should be having regular weekly or bi-weekly press conferences specific to this issue. Yep. You know, where, where they are dealing with each matter in hand and then a press secretary can do it. It, it, it. You know, I always found this very frustrating with Democrats particularly that there wasn't more of a production. And, you know, look, when they when the January 6th um, event, you know, the, the, the investigation was aired on television, they brought in a, a, a CBS news producer to produce it, to make sure that it was... It was it was newsworthy and, and and made for television, and they were largely successful. You know, got twenty million views on the viewers on the first episode you're, of those televised hearings, exactly and and I think right. that it, it should be the same, right? For, uh, that for is a that is a perfect example and a perfect analogy of what yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a imagine if the administration ever tried to do something like that on the border where, you know, think of all the Republican photo ops and things that they've done down on the border and, and all these dog and pony shows, they've done hundreds of them for the media and the counter from the administration from the Democrats is nothing is silence. We have nothing going back the other way. Uh, and so that, that was my frustration for years is that a lot. Of, I didn't understand. I understand it a lot better now because I've done my homework, mm. but I didn't understand the administration's border policy for a couple of years because they never talked about it. And But I, I've since found out on my own, but they yeah. still really don't. But, but politics should be boring, as I keep saying. It should be <laughs> administrative. It should not be show business. And unfortunately, in, in many countries, we had it in England with Boris Johnson, you know, these populists they make a production out of things and because you know it's all about them and because joe biden is not one of those characters right because he's a public servant and you know a former public defender and you know we know his history he he, he doesn't really see the the made for tv version of of how american politics kind of needs to be presented in order to cut through the noise these days yeah i mean Obama understood it. Clinton yeah. certainly did. Reagan, you know, there are Trump, of course, there are politicians who understand that the showmanship is part of is part of the gig. Yes. And Joe Biden has never been that guy going all the way back to, you know, the 70s and the 80s. He's always been a policy guy yeah. and uh, he loves to crunch numbers and all that, which is great. I mean, yeah. those people govern very well. It's just that sometimes on elections, things can get a little dicey. I love that Joe Biden's never changed. I heard someone say that recently. Like, you know, for all the criticism of him being, you know, with the, with the speech impediment and with being a bit doddery and all of this stuff, he's been like that his whole life. And, you know, this is not really, you know, him aging in, in, in public. This is just who he is. And there needs to be a certain acceptance of the fact that this is who he is. A yeah. very, a, a very successful president in terms of policy, but you know what more do you want? Do you want a scandal? Because we had them every day with Donald Trump. Yeah, and and he's following somebody like Obama. You know, a very yeah. dynamic Democratic very president, very popular, and that's mm. it's a hard act to follow. You know, for yeah. anybody. So, but but one could certainly argue that from a policy standpoint, Joe Biden has been more successful and more progressive than Obama in many yes. respects. Yes, I, I would agree. Um, I just want to talk about Ted Cruz for a second because, you know, he, he's been under the radar a little bit recently, hasn't he? He's like been yes. hiding out because he doesn't want to draw too much attention 
to himself because obviously his name will be on the ballot in November and he he really wants to, you know, keep his job so he can continue doing nothing and just, you know, showing off. Interesting video here that I'm I'm going to show of him on Fox News where he is basically pleading for people to send money so that he can try and and, and win back his his own job because the Democrats are uh, out fundraising him significantly. Just enjoy the desperation in, in Ted Cruz in this clip. I'm right now, as you know, in a very tough re-election race in Texas. The Democrats, Chuck Schumer has made clear I'm his number one target. The Democrats intend to spend over $100 million to defeat me in Texas. We just had a poll last week that showed it as a one-point race, and yet we can expect Mitch again not to spend any money to defend me, which means that the only way that we hold on is if the folks watching this show go to tedcruz.org right now, go online to tedcruz.org, make a contribution of five, 10, 25, 50, 100 bucks, because my race, my support is not from the big money special interests in Washington, D.C. It, it, it is from constitutional conservatives across the country who go to tedcruz.org and, and, and who help give me the resources to withstand $100 million from these left-wing Democrats and Marxists who are trying to invade this country and destroy this country. I mean, he really gets desperate at the end, doesn't he, where he's like, uh, Marxists who are invading the country. Well, they're already here. I'm a Marxist and so are you. Well, <laughs> welcome to America. His opponent, his, the problem for Ted is his opponent is definitely not a Marxist. And yeah. uh, and so Ted, the reason why you're, that's the first time, and I, I watch all the Ted stuff, you know, that's the first time that uh, he's said anything like that um, mm -hmm. in this campaign. So I think he he just woke up and realized that there's some issues here. Um, he He's not running against Beto O'Rourke this time. And, and. You know, Democrats love Beto with good reason, but, you know, he's a little flighty. He's a little all over the place. And he's probably not the best Democrat to win a statewide race in a place like Texas. OK, he probably needed to stay in his fairly liberal district and stay in Congress. But he kind of went a little got a little carried away. But Colin Allred, who is running against uh, Ted, is not that. I mean, he's a former NFL football player, great looking guy speaks well uh he's from his district is dallas which is a, a huge metropolitan area he represents the dallas suburbs and part of dallas um and uh and i and ted has been so busy running around with his doing his podcast and selling his books and and this and that that he i don't think he's he, i think he's kind of been asleep at the switch when and and it sort of has taken this re-election for granted and what has happened is a couple of things recently that's caused him to wake up, which is number one is uh, the fundraising numbers came in and all red raised a, a big chunk of change fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, Ted didn't. And number two, two separate polls have come out recently that are reliable polls. In one poll, all reds down two points. And in another poll, he's down one. So yeah, Ted is a little bit concerned, and obviously Donald Trump is soaking up a lot of the money and the oxygen in the room for Republican candidates. And then the final thing he noted there is Mitch McConnell. Okay, Mitch McConnell controls the purse strings for the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. He decides who's going to where the money's going to go. 
And number one, he hates Ted Cruz. So he's not going to be looking to do Ted Cruz any favors. And number two, they have prioritized Montana, Arizona, and, and Pennsylvania, and Ohio. And, and that's where that's where he's going to put his money in, and maybe even Colorado. That's where Mitch is going to put his money. He's not going to give a dime to Ted. So, yes, the, on the other side, Schumer is probably going to put commit some resources to Texas to make this a race. And so what Ted is saying there is entirely accurate. He's got some problems. I get the feeling that he... He comes over as a very kind of old school politician now, right? He's been around for a while. Obviously, that beard still hasn't grown into his face. And I, I get the sense that he's kind of taken his eye off the ball. Yep. And it's, it's all a little bit late now. There's going to be a lot of scrambling around to try and you know, drum up some interest. Maybe he took for granted that he thought that he would have a job for life because, you know, he is a made-for-television politician and he does you know, like to go and, you know, he can handle interviews and stuff like that. But but the reality is the world has changed since Ted Cruz showed up. And, and people now recognize that we need more effective politicians who are not in it for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of the MAGA people aren't thrilled with him. He didn't endorse Trump until just recently. He, went, yeah. he didn't endorse Trump until DeSantis dropped out. So that's kind of aggravated MAGA. He spent a lot of time going around the country campaigning for all these other candidates, which is for himself laying the groundwork to run for president in 28. That's why he did it. But the bottom line is he spends a lot of time outside of Texas. And uh, and and the other thing is a couple other little things. The Uvalde massacre, he, he was handled very poorly by him. He made a lot of terrible stupid statements that he got a lot of backlash and you know when they had the power outage the cancun thing which we all laugh about but texans were pretty pissed off at ted so these things all add up and and even though yes i'm not trying to like give out too much hopium i'm aware it's still texas but but the demographics of texas have slowly been changing democrats are making progress in texas and, and gaining ground so I think Alred's got a shot. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Interesting prediction. We'll obviously be able to come back and yay or nay that that one in a a few months' time. Uh, We need to take a quick pause for our sponsor. Uh, But when we come back, I want to talk about Alina Harbour and her groveling letter, not quite of apology, but, uh, you know, her washing her hands with the situation and also the fact that Donald Trump has said that he's now looking for new representation. So, you know, is that the last we see of Alina? We'll discuss that next here on Uncovered. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Food and drink are known to stain teeth. Coffee, wine, they stain over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. I personally have been to a dentist and had a teeth whitening treatment. It was painful, it was uncomfortable, and it was not a experience that I would want to repeat. Well, simply add Smile Active's Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. Do it at home. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves to get better whitening. People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. 
Visit smileactives.com slash uncovered today to receive a special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash uncovered. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Look at these teeth. Um, they're literally lighting up the whole room. Uh, so uh, you, uh, I love the way that you've always spoken about Alina Harbour. Um, she, you know, we've talked about her a lot. We, we analyze her relationship with Donald Trump. We, you know, he was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of lawyers running out of people to represent him. Uh, we talked about Joe Tacopina clearing off and leaving Alina Harbour to kind of, you know, be there recently for the, uh, for the Eugene Carroll trial, uh, the defamation trial. And now, just tell us, bring us up to date before I show this letter and we can we can talk about the letter. Well, you know, a couple of the, the latest thing, of course, is Trump made that post saying what you alluded to, talking about how he's shopping for lawyers. I, yeah. at the, I think people have sort of focused on the wrong thing on that post. You know, what everybody made fun of was saying, well, the, this must mean he's fired Alina Habah. That's, I mean, that's not true. I mean, Alina Habah is not an appellate lawyer. When when you you hire lawyers for an appeal, you're, you're not going to hire the trial lawyer. You're going to bring in a new set of lawyers that specialize in appeals. Okay. There's a difference between a brain surgeon and a heart doctor. You know, between a trial lawyer and an appellate lawyer. So, but he must be so that's not really with the her, news. Though, surely, he must be unhappy because she just cost him. What was yeah. it in the end? Thirty-eight million. Eighty-three million. Oh, sorry, I got, got my numbers yeah. the wrong way. Got to mix them back. So, yeah. but the news in that story is the fact that he's even putting that out there. He should have had an appellate lawyer already lined up, ready to go. He knew yeah. he was going to lose. I mean, the fact that he's shopping around and even putting it out on the internet. Hey, does anybody want to do my appeal? I mean, that's really the funny part of the story. Yeah. It's not. It's not that he's firing Habib. It's like he's asking for a social media manager. Except yeah, it's, it's like uh, it's like yeah. Anybody want to represent me out yeah. there? You know, uh, I got some cash flow problems, but maybe I can make monthly payments. You know. Yeah, but um, because he doesn't pay, and I suppose that is another part of this story, isn't it? That that. He, I mean, Rudy Giuliani was owed so, a whole bunch of cash, and now look, it turns we're gonna out find, we're going to find out the rest of that story tonight, right? Because That's... the filings are due today from yeah. the PACs, yeah. So by midnight, we will know how much he has spent on lawyers in 2023. We're gonna, so this is a big thing I'm waiting to find out because the New York Times is reporting, according, according to sources that it's in excess of $50 million that he's spent on lawyers. That's staggering. I mean, that's way more than he spent on any other part of his campaign. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse. I mean, these, these things are all heating up. So yeah, he's, he's, he we'll, we'll find out by the end of today, how much he spent in 2023. It's got to be a staggering amount. And he hasn't won anything yet. I mean, that's yeah, the other thing lose, you know, for right? all of this spending. It's just to lose. It's like, it's like, you know, going to, to the, to the Trump casino. So this is the letter that uh, Alina Hubber wrote. It's probably too small for any of us to, to, to read, but she, she basically kind of writes, let me see if I can see it. I write in response to the letter submitted earlier by the plaintiffs, lead counsel, da, 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 da. she's basically saying that the claim that she made, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase, the claim mm -hmm. that she made to say that the, the judge was in cahoots 
with the lawyer was because that they'd been at the same firm for a couple of years and that he had mentored her. Is that right? But it turned out that he never mentored her and they probably never even saw each other at the firm anyway. So she just made it up. This is classic, you know, Trump Habad legal strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so after the trial's over, wh- what happens? Well, first of all, before the trial was over, she mentioned in a comment to the press that the, she heard that the judge had an improper relationship at some point in time with Carol's lawyer. So she actually said that in the press, that there was sources out there. Then lo and behold, after the trial's over, the New York Post does this story where they claim that they have one source who worked in the same law firm as them in the early 90s who said that uh, the judge in that case, Judge Lewis Kaplan, had mentored Roberta Kaplan, the lawyer yeah. for Carol, no relation. And it, yeah, as I say, it's a coincidence that they have the same surname. Yeah, no relationship. And 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 so then Alina Habah files a letter demanding that, citing this New York Post story, and demanding that he disclose any relationship. What happens then is Roberta, twelve hours later, responds and says, "Judge, you don't even need. Let me respond to this." And she just said, I worked at this huge multinational firm, many offices all over the world. I worked there for about 18 months in the early 90s. I never, I don't even remember Lewis. He was a senior partner. I was a junior associate. He certainly never mentored me. I don't recall ever even speaking to him. Yeah. And she said, and furthermore, it looks like Alina Haba is the one who planted this story in the New York Post who she is apparently the source of this story and and the judge needs to investigate it and I'm considering asking for sanctions against her and that's when Haba then filed that letter you just read yeah 2 hours later saying oh you know what i guess i was mistaken let's just forget the whole thing De- <laughs> classic De- Habba. Just, it's so desperate like th- these are the tactics of trump and his lawyers yep. to try and find dirt on people and if it doesn't exist just make it up they're not going to get very far with that and in the meantime it's just costing donald trump in legal fees attack the judge attack the the witnesses attack the prosecutors i mean this is things that trial lawyers don't normally do i mean you're gonna yeah you're gonna try and discredit a witness but you're gonna try and do that in front of a jury you're not gonna be doing that out in the press and you're you're definitely not gonna attack you know the judge and the opposing counsel or the judge's clerk these are things that no lawyer would ever do. It's just asinine. And it's why he's losing. And it's why not only is he losing, but I'm going to say that that jury verdict might have been five or six million dollars like the other trial yeah. if they hadn't have done all this nonsense. But all this nonsense and craziness made it much worse. There's no way that you can say that all of these legal issues plaguing Trump and, you know, Giuliani and and Peter Navarro and all the people in this orbit is not going to have an effect on the vote in the general election in November. You can't say that. It it, it has to, provided that people are getting access to the information, because, of course, Fox and these kind of silo networks, they they tend not to report on this stuff. But they're going to have to as these stories become more and more mainstream. And I recognize that, you know, when Donald Trump won in 2016, we didn't have any of this. We just had the rumors and Hillary Clinton saying, you know, he was dangerous and, you know, she threatened 
well, she saw the threat of fascism. People didn't really understand or believe her. There was none of this stuff around. And, and, and Trump obviously had the help of the Kremlin and various other things, you know, online technology that helped him get elected. He lost in 2020 without any of this stuff. 2024, it is not possible for him to win, considering the amount of material there is out there that people are starting to understand and recognize that he has his fingers in so many kind of illegal pies. Do you think that's fair to say? I mean, I don't want to take it for granted, and I'm, I'm touching wood, obviously, but I'm just trying to weigh up the kind of feeling and the mood and the national conversation. It's got to have an effect on the vote, sure. Well, the polls show one thing quite clearly, which is a conviction is going to matter. That That's yeah. what people want. Uh, people are not making a judgment now, and I think that that's part of the American consciousness is innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, give him the benefit it's of the in doubt. our DNA, right? Yeah. Right. We're innocent. We, we believe that people should get their shot in court and we're going to presume them innocent. So every poll, though, has said that if Trump is convicted of a criminal charge, that a significant chunk of those voters, including Republican voters, say that they're out, that they will not vote for him. And so the, the only thing that the polls don't do, and here's the big $64,000 question is, it may be that the first trial is going to be the New York one yeah. with the Stormy Daniels hush money stuff. Yeah. And that is obviously the one that has the least amount of appeal politically as far as, so no poll has ever said, just asked about that case. Well, what if he's convicted just of that? You know, is, is that going to change your mind? We don't know because- that case is set for trial in March, and and the way it, it, the what was supposed to happen first was the January sixth trial was supposed to go first with Judge Chutkan, but that appears like it's not going to happen, and now it looks like that that New York case is going to go first. But my fear is like that's kind of like of the four the shakiest one. What if he wins that case? Then the opposite could happen. He could get a big bounce. So, um. I'm a little nervous about the court cases. The, I'd feel the, the, a lot better if if the documents case was going to trial first. Well, know? the documents case might not even get but hurt. It's not. I mean, it's not. Yeah, because right. yeah. I do think that people have, you know, originally with Stormy Daniels, it was like, ah, oh, this is like a thing. She's a porn star. He's a president. <laughs> I think as with everything, these things kind of people get used to it, and it's kind of less impactful. And now people are like, oh yeah, I like Stormy Daniels. It's so weird, isn't it, how how things kind of change. And and in fact, she, you know, she she should run for president. She'd definitely do a better job than him. We've got a couple of uh, images from these. Um, we talked briefly about it, the fact that Donald Trump is now being forced to pay Rudy Giuliani's creditors. And mm-hmm. and here's some of the paperwork from that. Just explain why Trump is is, you know, due to pay these now and why it's been ruled that he he has to. Because there's, you know, there's quite a lot of them. This has been an an interesting twist, that's for sure. <laughs> that I don't think a lot of people expected. We all we all knew because this had been reported that Trump stiffed Rudy his legal bills from 2020. That yeah. Rudy was out there doing all this stuff, running around the world, going to Ukraine, doing all these election cases, running up a huge bill, and Trump didn't pay him. Trump paid him a little bit, but not nearly. I think Trump probably paid him 20% of his bill. Uh, so he, he stiffed Rudy and then Rudy was disbarred and suspended and all that stuff. So he couldn't, couldn't continue anyway. So 
you know, a couple, two, three years go by, we don't really hear much more about this. Rudy doesn't make a big deal out of it, of course, because he still needs Trump world to grift off of. Uh, but, you know, the bankruptcy trustee, Rudy had to put on his paperwork, you know, you have to put your assets in, and part of your assets as a lawyer is your accounts receivable, what people owe you. And <laughs> the biggest thing that Rudy is owed from a past client is Donald Trump's legal bills. So, so basically what happens is the trustee on behalf of Rudy Giuliani, Rudy didn't file this, because once you file bankruptcy, your money becomes sort of the trustee manages your, your money to some extent. And so the trustee has basically said, look, Donald Trump is solvent. Donald Trump is one of Rudy's major creditors. Tr Rudy owes all this money to all these other creditors. So we're going to collect on that, on that debt that Trump has refused to pay. We're going to get that money. And so basically what they're going to end up doing is taking those legal fees that that Trump stiffed Rudy out of, taking it out of Trump and paying off some of Rudy's creditors, which is going to really upset Trump. And screw that relationship, potentially, if it's not screwed already, right? Between between Maybe. Giuliani. It's and not Donald Rudy's Trump. fault. I mean, to some degree, it's not Rudy's fault. He's yeah. not the one doing this. But yeah. but by filing for bankruptcy, which he did to protect himself from the, the Ruby Freeman, try and protect and shield yes. some of his funds from Ruby Freeman, is going to end up costing Trump money by, by Rudy doing that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it's the best way to her. I mean, it's like that that, that uh, phrase that um, E. Jean Carroll came out with the other day after the ruling. She was like, I'm going to. I'm going to collect that money and I, you know, because what was the payout for her? I, I forget the numbers. Was it a hundred? Uh, yeah, I don't even remember. It was a lot. It was, it was quite a, a bit. Yeah. I don't, there's so much, but you know, you have to add all this in with, with, with Trump, as we just talked about shelling out 50 million for legal fees of his own. He's fighting off Nikki Haley in, in a Republican primary. He's got, he's got all these lawsuits going, all these judgments against him. The last thing he needs is to have to shell out a few million yeah. to pay off Rudy's debts. But yeah. he's probably going to have to do that. So Eugene Carroll said, I'm going to give it to an organization that he hates. Yeah, right? <laughs> did you hear that quote? It was so good. I did. So, you know, hopefully it'll go to a, to a, a women's charity or, you know, something that is going to really rub him up the wrong way. I just hope that she is able to collect that money. And I heard that her lawyers... They said, you know, we're going to go out of our way to collect that. I mean, they can go after his assets if he's not prepared to give the cash, right? Yeah, and they're they're prepared to do that. But, you know, of course, the big question is, is he going to put up all the money in the bond to to file the appeal? Is he going to is he willing to take on twenty two thousand dollars a day in accrued interest while the appeal is pending? Most likely for Trump, he, he's willing to to pay the interest. That's not really the big thing for him. But coming up with that big lump sum in bond money to be able to file the appeal is not going to be easy for Trump. I mean, that's a that's a big chunk of change he's going to have to come up with. We'll see. People ask me what's the time limit. I believe it's thirty days. He's got thirty days, and oh, really? we're already that's good. We're already about ten days into that. So, yes. okay, yeah. Well, maybe he's selling off that beautiful furniture at Mar-a-Lago as we speak. <laughs> um, he actually posted uh, the other day about the stock market, didn't he? Kind of claimed that he wanted to take credit for it. He said, this is the Trump stock market because my polls against Biden are so good that investors are projecting that I will win and that will drive the market up. Um, you know, the market's doing pretty well at the moment. The, the U.S. economy is doing pretty well. Jobs numbers are looking really good. Inflation is coming down. Joe Biden has a lot to be proud of in terms of, you know, the, the, the efforts. And, and, you know, I'm pleased that we avoided recession. And, you know, I'm very impressed with Janet Yellen and some of these people. But 
For Trump to step in and now claim that this is his win is pretty rich, isn't it, Ron? I think even this one, you know, MAGA didn't even didn't even pick up on this. I think even they were like, okay, man, you know, like the old man is a little far out on the limb on this one. Um, it's been interesting to, you know, I watch all his speeches and all his interviews, so all the rally speeches. So it's been interesting to watch his messaging evolve uh, from 2020 to now, year by year, because, you know, in 2020, of course, this is well-documented, has been played by the media many times. He predicted that the stock market would crash and we would have a great depression if Biden was elected within yeah. short order. Of course, Biden had inherited an economy in the in the tank with COVID raging and had to clean up that mess, which took quite a while. Uh, so, of course, during that time, when when things were tough, you know, Trump was saying, you know, see, I told you, you know, things are bad and et cetera, et cetera. Inflation was bad. The, you know, we were a lot of economists were predicting a recession, a deep recession. Um, that seemed to be the consensus. The stock market was down. So for a while, Trump was able to kind of say, see, I told you so. But now, you know, the economy is doing better. Things are positive. So in 2022, during the midterms, he tried to he shifted that argument. He said the economy is doing well, but it's just running on the fumes, running on the fumes. That was the 2022 message of my of my work and that and that but these fumes are going to wear off any day now and that the economy is about to tank and of course that didn't happen so now we're over three years out the fumes argument doesn't really hold water anymore it's kind of hard to argue the economy three years later is still running off those trump fumes so now he's come up with a whole new thing which is the reason why the economy and the stock market is doing well is because People see I'm leading in the polls and they they know I'm going to be coming back. And now they're all confident. And and that's it's just it's just a ridiculous argument. But I mean, it's an argument, I guess, that works with some low IQ voters. And, and this is the problem. Trump himself is a low IQ person and a big baby and a narcissist and all of these things that we now know about with these multiple personality disorders. And I just feel like, uh, you know, a little bit like with the court cases, the legal, the legal cases that are happening, that even Trump running his mouth about the stock market and claiming that the stock market is up because he's up and therefore people think that there is safety ahead. Americans aren't that stupid. No. They're just going to know that he's talking crap and they're just going to be like, this is just crap. And it, I think all of this, you know, him running his mouth contributes to his likely election loss for my money anyway yeah and he you know he tests these things out at his rallies but but the problem is you know these talking points that he tests at his rallies i mean just because he gets a positive reaction from maga yeah that, that's not going to help him in november with swing voters because they're not like you said the the swing voters are more educated believe it or not even be, they don't pay as much attention to like cable news and political social media, but many of them are educated, but who, who are they? A lot of them are suburban people in their thirties with young kids that are at little league practice and at work and they come home and they might, you know, turn on a sitcom and they go to sleep. They're, they're not watching MSNBC or Fox or Trump rallies. And, and so these people are not stupid. And what they typically tend to do is tune in about a month out from the presidential election and start paying attention. 
And usually the debates sort of kick that off and, and they make up their mind. And, and, and it's those people that Trump polls so poorly with and messaging like this, this on the stock market is not going to fly with those voters. I forgot about the presidential debates until you just mentioned it. And I'm like, oh, it, no. There, you know, this may be the first time when there aren't any. That's what I, I was thinking. I think thinking. there's a very good possibility that there are no debates. Right, because Trump doesn't want to do it. My, my memories of last time was when Biden just is like, come on, man. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? It, it, it became, I mean, it was terrible. You know, it was just terrible. The talking over each other and the, it was just it was fascinating, but, it, you know, it shouldn't be like Romans, like watching gladiators in the Colosseum. Like, it shouldn't be that. And the yet reason it why, has become that. The reason, of course, Trump claims that, you know, he wants to have a million debates and, and he's going to be out there saying that. I, I, don't, I don't think that the Biden campaign especially wants a lot of debates or even any debates necessarily, yeah. because I think that... Um, they're content to run on their record and and to to say look this is what we've done they have enough money to put their messaging out to the voters and they don't need to get into a clown show you know a yelling and screaming match with a, a, a maniac like Donald Trump who's going to talk over you and and do what he what he did last time so i think to them they're not really seeing a big benefit in in debating trump and and i think that trump on the other hand is going to want to impose so many conditions and rules on these debates and who's going to be the moderator. He's going to want to control every aspect of it. And I think that that's probably going to cause a problem as well in terms of make, making this happen. Yeah. So my prediction is at most there's going to be one debate and there may not be any. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if there is to be one, the networks are going to fight over it because, of course, it's big box office for them. Uh, let's talk about drugs because uh, there's been a leak about the amount of uh, substances that were potentially ingested during Donald Trump's White House. And uh, this is fascinating, isn't it? This is the, um, the, the medical unit. Uh, it was posted as a, a pill mill, thousands of Ambien and various drugs. I mean, let's just take a look at this list. It was posted by Dr. Nick Mark who said for a clinic that doesn't typically do procedures with moderate sedation, they sure are ordering prodigious quantities of morphine, fentanyl, and ketamine. I mean, what's all this about? Is it really the case that Donald Trump was a drug addict during his White House tenure? Well, this can't be just one person. Even Trump can consume <laughs> that many drugs. Um, and you look, it's not only just the fact of the amounts, which are very prodigious, but what they are, I mean, fentanyl, ketamine, Adderall, these are the morphine. These are hardcore, powerful drugs. And so, you know, the question is like, like the doc says here, this is the white house is not a hospital. It's sort of like going to your neighborhood, you know, urgent care center. You're, you're not going in there for any kind of heavy duty stuff. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be going to your primary care doctor for right. that or the hospital. You're not supposed to be getting them from the White House doctor, which, by the way, was Ronnie Jackson, who's, you know, pretty notorious himself for, you know, dispensing pills and, and being a doctor feel good and fudging, fudging medical records and saying things that clearly are not true. Like Trump is 6'3", 235 and is going to live until he's 200 and is the most. What do you say about Trump? 
the most fit, you know, healthy person he's ever seen in his whole life. He said about Trump. Um, so we know Ronnie Jackson lies. So the, the question is, here's the thing. We have all these ex Trump staffers out in the media, some of whom have turned on Trump and become, you know, media darlings for doing so and, and switch parties even that are out there all the time. I mean, did they not see anything? I mean, it had to be half the White House was was taking pills. You know, did they not know anything? We, we really have to get to the bottom of this because I think this is a very serious issue. And and we see Trump now and, and we see him sweating. And by the way, Trump has repeatedly accused Joe Biden of taking these very same drugs uh, on multiple occasions. And we know with him everything is projection. Uh, there's no there's no doubt in my mind he's on he's on a bunch of drugs. Um, yeah. And he's always challenged Biden to take drug tests. He's done that before. Well, so he's king of projection, always, isn't he? It's always in his on his mind. Yeah. And and so that and, and you know, he's very erratic. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's on something. And I think that these these White House doctors uh, pharmacy records show that something's going on here. Well, we discussed last week that it's impossible to maintain Trump's schedule at the age of 77, yes. as unfit as he is, doing these, you know, showing up for legal hearings and then doing rallies and because of time zones. And, and you said something very interesting last week, which a lot of people commented on, which, and I quite like to clear this up. You said that he has to go back to Bedminster or to Mar-a-Lago because he does not like to sleep anywhere other than his own bed. This is, is true. That, is that really true? And how, did, how true. do you even know this? Well, because I follow him every single day. <laughs> I mean, when I post pictures on on Twitter saying like this is this is what he's doing today, that I literally that's what he's doing today. I I look, the reason is because I follow so many people in Trump's orbit and not famous people that you would know. Yeah. I follow busboys. I fought Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster. I follow people who work at his golf courses. I I make it my business to follow a lot of the people that are members of Miralago staff yes. on Instagram, on Facebook, on their different social media pages, and they post these pictures and videos, and that's that's how I keep tabs on him. But but no, he he hates 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 sleeping anywhere on the road. He and that's why he has the private plane. I mean, he he always makes it a point that he will go give a speech if he has to give a speech, for example, in Iowa at nine o'clock at night and the next day he's going to give a speech in Pennsylvania, he will literally fly to Iowa, give the speech, fly to Miralago, sleep at Miralago, and then fly to Pennsylvania the next morning. That's what he I does. Mean, but why not sleep on the plane at the, in the airport? You know, if, if you've got a luxurious 757, why he even might. go back to Miralago? I mean, I know that he's a germaphobe and we, we, there's been plenty of reporting of that. Do you think this is connected to that in any way, that he, he needs to you know feel safe and, and clean? I think it's more paranoia over um, you know him being bugged or recorded or filmed in, in you know he certainly will never stay at he'll never stay at a hotel room that he doesn't own. I mean if, if he owns a property in like Las Vegas, he'll stay there or in New York, you know he'll stay at Trump Tower. But he will not stay at a property that he doesn't own and control the environment. And I think it's his paranoia about being anything behind the scenes being recorded. We don't we don't ever see him without a shirt on. You know, we don't ever see him without his hair combed. We don't ever see those. Even I don't get that stuff 
very, very rarely do I ever get anything because he doesn't ever want the public to see that. It's it's literally the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Yeah. Because if the public saw him with his shirt off and without his makeup and without his hair combed, um, they'd be probably pretty it's shocked. Terrifying. The idea of a paparazzi getting in with a long lens with his boobs out at the beach is not something I want to see. Pasty white. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Karine Jean-Pierre made a very interesting point, and this is about the fact that, you know, so many Republicans did not vote for the infrastructure bill, and yet yeah. so many Republicans, lawmakers, uh, governors, and, and, and Congress people are then taking the credit for the infrastructure changes in their in their district. Let's just have a quick listen to this. Uh, one thing that I will say, uh, and uh, I don't want to get ahead of it, uh, I think you saw a tweet from a, a congressman from Minnesota 8 who, who uh, touted the bipartisan infrastructure law, something that this congressman, Congressman Stauber, who did not vote for it. Uh, and it, what's interesting is it was a bipartisan uh, piece of legislation. Obviously, we were thankful to Republicans who, who uh, did uh, work with the president to, to put forth this bipartisan infrastructure law and voted for it and pushed for it. But there are some Republicans who didn't. And they see the benefits of this particular law and now are touting it, but didn't vote for it, did not vote for it at all. And this has played out in, in several ways. There's a, there was a clip in uh, from South Florida on a CBS News uh, Miami uh, interview with, with one of these Congress people who effectively pretended to forget we show, can't show the clip unfortunately because of um uh, copyright but it was it was a very interesting kind of interchange just explain what happened here yeah well she was confronted by several projects that she was bragging about and and you know went and presented checks and was at the ribbon cutting and this and that and she's a republican congressman from the miami area and uh she voted against every single one of them and and when she was confronted by it she she at first like kind of tried to change the subject or deny that she voted, but she got pinned down on it as a good interviewer will do. And eventually she just finally said, I don't really remember what I voted for. She did not. She just had memory loss all of a sudden. She didn't remember what she voted for and what she didn't. So I, I can tell you this, that, you know, the Biden administration has been a little frustrated by how long it took for, uh, some of these projects to get started, to get rolling. The money was allocated back in, what, 2021 and 2022. And, and, and a lot of these projects are just now ramping up. Thank, thankfully, you know, they are ramping up before the elections. They can make some, some difference here, but also a difference in the economy as well. I think a lot of the upturn you're seeing in the economy is because of a lot of these projects are happening and so what is happening is Biden is starting to go out around the country to some of these things and, you know, take credit for it because, look, this is all Biden's stuff. This, these are his initiatives. He absolutely can put his stamp on every one of these things because they were his, his ideas. And, and so what's also happening, though, since it's an election year, is Republicans, when these projects are happening in their districts, they're showing up and claiming credit when time after time after time we're finding out that they voted against these projects so yes it, it, it this is going to continue to play out and, and it's great that the biden administration is calling these people out for it their response what is their argument that she did a terrible job answering the questions but typically the republican argument that you hear is well i was in favor of this project 
but I didn't like everything else in the bill. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it, that, but that's, that's the way Congress works. I mean, you either, you, you don't vote for one project at a time because there's thousands of them. You either vote for the bill or you don't. So it's just a lame excuse, but, but good for the Biden administration for calling them out. Let's talk about Carrie Lake, because she has been going around telling everybody that she's such a great candidate. Uh, you know, she's now trying to you know, get the Arizona Senate after losing the, 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 you know, the governorship. Um, I have a feeling that maybe she's not as well liked as she thinks she is. And I've thought this for quite a while. And in fact, on one of the, that leaked tape that we listened to, I, I think it was last week, you heard her telling, because there was like an extortion thing, and she was kind of saying, look, I'm a great candidate. The people of Arizona, they love me. Do you think that really is the case? Because I have a video that I'm about to show of her being booed. The whole reason why that guy, who was the state party chair for the Arizona Republican Party, and her benefactor, somebody who was pay, who paid her over $100,000 while she was running for governor, yeah. as a quote-unquote advisor. So in other words, this guy had paid her over $100,000 to do nothing, uh, to just run for governor. So this is not somebody who's hostile to her. This is one of her best friends that she recorded, or at least somebody who is financing her operation. The reason why what he was trying to do is the reason why he's trying not to have her run is because they don't believe she's the best candidate for the They believe that she's toxic that they can run somebody much better in the Republican primary that can beat Gallego and Carrie Lake is the worst possible candidate. That's why they didn't want her to run. So, so you start there and, and yes, you're right. The question is how much is, is all of her election denial mania getting sued for defamation, which she is now being sued by a Republican election official for defamation all of that craziness, all of her Trumpy running around the country with Trump, what effect was that going to have? Has she gone down in popularity since she lost in 2022 or up? We didn't really know, but I think we're getting a real good snapshot here because this is a state Republican meeting, the big meeting to replace the chair that she recorded who was forced to resign. And she was loudly booed and heckled by her own people these are these are hardcore republicans if they're booing carrie lake she is in trouble here it is Very clear booze there. Some excellent booze, I would say. Probably some of the best booze I've heard in a while, don't you think? Those aren't those aren't climate change protesters. No. You know, those are MAGA Republicans booing her. So yeah, it's just obviously she did not expect that. She was taken aback. She was definitely rattled. Um, and it, in fact, you know, a lot of times when I'll post like Republican politicians getting booed, they'll push back. Certainly Trump people do. And the lake people do follow me on social media. So when I posted that, I was definitely expecting to get a denial back from Team Lake uh, and for them to deny she was booed. They did not. They they and and the and people who are in the room, Republicans, posted on social media that it was 80% booze. 
You know, there was a handful of people who cheered, but it was 80% booze. And this is a Republican crowd. So, yeah, I mean, we're, all, we're also going to, by the way, have the decision from Kristen Cinema very soon, supposed to come uh, within the next few weeks. If she's going to run, she hasn't announced yet. Um, but uh, I think if it's head-to-head, Gallego against Lake, Gallego's in, in good shape here. It's fake booze, Ron. Fake booze. Fake booze. <laughs> right. Um, I want to finish with uh, this incredible debate, this this uh, GOP debate for CD4. This was with Lauren Bobert, where candidates were asked to raise their hands if they'd been arrested. And you would have thought that, you know, lawmakers, potential lawmakers probably would not be raising their hands. Looks like pretty much all of them did. Six candidates raised their hands, including Lauren Bobert and Mike Lynch, and then they proceeded to cheer and high-five each other at the prospect that they were all arrestees. Let's take a look at this incredible moment. Do we get to say what for? I mean, what's your take on this? I don't really know where to start. This is the MAGA Republican Party. I mean, they asked how many of you have been arrested and six out of the nine candidates raised their hands. So (laughs) this is the new, uh, this is a Republican Party that I am not familiar with from 30 years as an activist in the party. Um, if, if you had, you know, one person raise their hand, they, people would boo and, you know, they'd be mortified, but, it doesn't seem to bother this crowd. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. She clearly has the best name recognition, and whoever wins this primary is is going to win. No, no, no. That's the reason why she switched to this district in Eastern Colorado is because it's very strong Republican. Like no Democrat can win it. So so whoever wins this primary is going to get it. And so the question is: Is she going to be able? How much is her carpetbagger stuff? All her drama all the craziness. Do these people in Eastern Colorado really want that? Is this, they want to import this congressperson from Western Colorado or not? I mean, they did a straw poll of the people at the debate. Uh, I, I'm not really big on straw polls that much, but she seemed very shocked that she came in fifth in that straw poll. I think she only got like 23 votes out of the people in the room. So, I mean, that you can't read too much into straw polls, but that that kind of, I think, surprised her a little bit considering she's the name that everybody knew and she finished fifth. So I I think she could be in in trouble for two big reasons. I think, I think they don't really care that much about her crazy MAGA stuff because that's who those voters are. I think they care about the Beetlejuice thing and and they don't want to be embarrassed. All the drama, all the arrests, all the missed votes, all that kind of stuff that comes with, with, with Boebert and, and the carpetbagger stuff, you know, the fact that she abandoned her district and is moving in there, I think, I think will affect her as well. Wouldn't it be nice if people like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the, the kind of the real kind of far right, loudmouth extremists who will shout liar during the State of the Union address to the president, stuff like that. Matt Gates is another one. Wouldn't it be great if they all lost? And, you know, and I throw Ted Cruz into that group as well. And we would never have to hear from these people ever again. It would be like it would be the greatest Christmas gift that we could get in November. 
It really would. You know, you know uh, uh, Green is not going to lose. Okay. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that Green yesterday was taunting Bobert about that straw poll. Yeah. You know, they, they don't like each other at all anymore. No. They, they really dislike each other intensely. It, it had a lot to do with the McCarthy thing, but I think yeah. it goes deeper than that. I think they're just, it's just a rivalry where there's a lot of jealousy and hogging the spotlight. Only, you know, only one can have the spotlight, right? It's a little um, bit both, like you and me, Ron, on this show. Yeah, you know, I, I feel right. there's a similar animosity between us for, for, as a popularity contest. No, man, no, not not for me. <laughs> but uh, but no, it, what was funny was Green was making fun of Bobert, you know, that she came in fifth in that straw poll, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny. Okay. Listen, we've got to finish, but uh, always a pleasure. Great to see you. Um, he's Ron Filipkowski. I'm Anthony Davis. You can download the podcast, the audio podcast tonight from wherever you get yours. And uh, don't forget to check out MidasTouch.com for the very latest news, much of it curated by Ron himself. And we'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Uncovered. Take care. See you then.